Welcome to Office Hours with EAB. Today, Craig Robinson, CEO of College Possible, joins EAB's Misi Fairfax for a discussion on how to build effective community partnerships. It's a skill that doesn't come easily to every college president, but Craig offers some tips and suggests that the benefits of these partnerships can have lasting positive effects on students, surrounding communities, and schools themselves. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. I'm E.C. Fairfax, Associate Director of Student Success Research here at EAB. And I'm thrilled to have Craig Robinson, CEO of College Possible, a community-based organization. Now, before I give Craig the mic, now I know that sounded a little bit like a 90s uh, rap, but I want to share that prior to my time at EAB, I spent a majority of my career with uh, nonprofits and CBOs. So I cherish the work that they do to uh, support and uplift the communities. And I'm pleased to have a moment and for you to have this moment with us to uh, welcome Craig to the program. So Craig, if I could, welcome to the program. Thank you, Missy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming on board. Now, if I could just ask you to share a little bit about what your organization does and, and some of the ways that you look to influence higher education leaders. Sure. Well, College Possible is a college access and success program, um, as our namesake uh, suggests, and we're founded in 2000. Um, and we use a near-peer mentorship model that's based on the AmeriCorps program. And our, our ultimate goal is to close the degree divide based on race and income. Um, so we like to see, see of ourselves as an opportunity pathway program. Um, we're one of the largest college access and success programs uh, in the country. Uh, and we're frankly, we were the first to use the AmeriCorps model um, to provide that delivery service. Um, and we use a research-based curriculum um, to reach students to help them navigate institutional barriers. So when you talk about um, how we work with higher education, um, a big part of it is making sure that students have the, the college knowledge and information and supports they need um, to be able to apply and ultimately persist through graduation. Well, I think it's very interesting what you said there in terms of not only the America Corps tie-in, but also with the near peer model. I know a lot of conversations that I've had, even in our own research, there's been, especially during the pandemic, but even before then, a lot of concern in terms of student support and student belongingness. Now, would you mind just for a moment talking a little bit about that peer model and just why you decided that that was so important for your, um, for your program? Absolutely. Well, you know, there's sort of a saying that says in order to be something, you have to see something. Mm -hmm. um, and so having, you know, a, a person who's navigated a process that you aspire um, to go through yourself is, is particularly helpful. Um, mm -hmm. Just knowing that, you know, that someone has not only done it, but to also hear that for them, what their challenges were and how they learned to overcome those obstacles. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's really powerful when you have somebody say that they a, believe in you, that they are there to support you, um, and that they're there to serve as a guide. So I almost think about it like a, a Sherpa, you know, mm -hmm. someone who can help you climb that mountain, um, someone who can, who knows the pathways, who knows the dangers and pitfalls. Um, and so, you know, having a, a, a mentor who's relatively close in age and experience um, seemed like the, the, the sort of ideal model to help guide a student through college. Yeah. And I, 
I think you touch on something very important, right? Because there's there is the larger conversation that we're having within higher education is almost the homogeneity of it, right? That there aren't necessarily folks who have a diverse lived experience, um, don't necessarily represent the students who are coming on board. We know that we're going to be increasingly having um, demographic changes within our student body that we can't ser- continue to serve them the way that we have. So I wonder if for a moment, right, we could talk a little bit about what are kind of the specific ways that these community partnerships can even help um, higher education even become more inclusive and serve students of color better? Yeah, well, to your first point about diversity, one of, one of the things I've come to appreciate from my own lived experience um, is that you can actually have people from different backgrounds still be a resource to you. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my personal um, barriers that I had to overcome was accessing you know, faculty advisors um, or, or forming study groups with students who were different than me. Um, so I think, I think diversity has a role to play in it. Um, but to your, to your broader point about partnerships, um, you know, I think no matter what walk of life, there's a belief that a college de- degree can be transformational. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so we want to make sure that students from all walks of life know that. Now, if, you've, if you have a parent who's gone to college, that information is going to be handed down to you from, the, from day one. That expectation is going to be, going to be set. Um, but yet we recognize that a degree is still influenced more by race and income now than by talent or true potential. Um, and so community partnerships have the ability to sort of highlight a, a value of coalition building with higher ed, where K-12 institutions and college access and success programs, along with institutional partners, um, can really bridge a, a start pathway for students to be in a position to cultivate a life of choice and opportunity. Um, and many of our institutions in this country are very old, um, yet it feels like a new opportunity for so many students who may not have someone in their life who went to college before. Absolutely. Well, there are a couple of things that you talked on there that I kind of want to unpack a little bit because I think they are very important, even as people think about doing this equity work. I think one of them that you talked about, representation, diversity has its place, right? You want to make sure that you see others who are succeeding. Um, but then the other one you talked about is like all walks of life, right? This is collectively all of our work to do this. And there is something that we all can um, share with them. So would you mind kind of just talking a little bit? I love that philosophy that you shared there. Could you talk a little bit about just what you've learned in terms of even maybe even talking about your own organization? Because I can imagine that depending on who your staff is, that they don't necessarily match the same um the same race or the um, income level of your students. Yeah, so I mean, one one central theme I want to I want to come to and come back to is this notion about bridging a divide. Yeah. Right. And so I think when you're trying to bridge a divide, it does not have to be two equals on on each end to 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 create that connection. In fact, often by the fact that there's a divide means that there's a difference that exists. So trying to connect students of potential to institutions of opportunity. Is a, is a bridge to be crossed. Um, and so I think there's a, there's a few ways I like to think about that. I think you can, you can bridge that with largely with people, you can bridge it with ideals and you can bridge it with resources. And so when it comes to the people component of it, the role that we play is, is to be an ambassador. We want folks to realize that there is just so much talent um, in, the, in so many communities across this country. 
you know, we don't serve just one population of students. We don't just serve one community. You know, we, we see talent in a, in a, in a rural community. Um, we see talent in the suburban community. We see talent in the urban community. And we recognize that our institutions are places of opportunity, that when students have access to those opportunities, they're going to go on and do great things, not just in the communities they're from, but frankly, all across this country. Um, and we have so many needs as a society, you know, and yet we have, you know, the jobs of the future are going to look very different than the ones of, of today. Um, and yet our, our, our students have, you know, they see the challenges, they're living the challenges, they see the challenges of clean water, they see the challenges of safety, they see the challenges of just real world issues. And their minds are percolating because they're living in this world. And so uh, the exciting part about like bridging these opportunities and bridging these divide is to say, how do you bring need and opportunity together? Um, that's right. And that's what programs like ours help to do. Well, and I, I love what you said there too, because there's a sense of, um, I've, I've been having these conversations where folks say, well, I think we've kind of done the work, right? And I said, well, I don't think you've quite done it, right? So even when we talk about the coalition building and what does that look like to, look like to reach back to the K-12 and work with community-based organizations and work with others within with employers and others, right, in terms of the outcomes and making sure that from, you know, kind of K through 20, how we're supporting all of that work. So I would love to have your sense about how do you, or how have you kind of put together that coalition building, working with those institutions, getting folks on board to think about this, these partnerships in a different way, because what I'll, what I'll share, and I think what you probably know historically, um, some of these and a lot of these partnerships can end up being a little bit top down. So how do we all get there together to, to be on the equal playing field to support the work that we all know that we want to do? Well, I mean, I think one of the most important principles about effective partnerships um, is about, you know, combining resources um, on both entities, right? It's like, what is the benefit that you can both bring, not just what you get from the other person? That's right. So effective partnerships, you know, have to do with trust, as to do with mutual respect. And, and if we're going to be real, there, there's a certain, um, some certain benefit to be gained from that partnership. Um, one of the places we try to do that in College Possible, as an example, is, is in our Catalyze program, um, where we, we train and partner with universities to deliver um, our, our, our near-peer coaching model on their own. So a good example of that, uh, just was a, a conversation recently with the president of Morgan State University, one of our partners, and one of the, the, the values that he mentioned um, about the partnership is that we're using their student alumni and training them to actually mm -hmm. go back and support their incoming freshman class so that they have a better likelihood of persisting and graduating. Sure. So we're not coming in as a partner saying we have all the answers. We're saying we have a tool, we have a resource, we have a shared interest around improving student outcomes, and we have a willingness to train and share those resources with you and leverage your own institutional resources, your alumni, your professors, you know, your support services, to help you achieve your goals, which frankly are mutually shared by us. Mm. And so that's when I think partnerships truly work when it's a matter of respect. Like we're not, we don't see you from a deficit perspective. We see you from an asset perspective mm -hmm. and we want to partner together to achieve a, sh a shared outcome. Well, and you say a good point too, because there's been a lot of conversation, even as we talk about this equity work about the kind of the deficit and the asset based mindset. And I think that what you just said as well, doesn't, just attribute it to the students, but to organizations and others of the like of who you're trying to 
partner with and what those conversations are. So Morgan State, um, got to give a shout out because they are as a, a EAB Starfish um, customer. So I definitely want <laughs> to give them a little bit of props here on the podcast. Um, but it's exciting to see that work. And so for folks who want to get in or have those conversations or start to reopen those doors, what would that look like? Like, how did your partnership with Morgan State come together and come to fruition? Yeah, it's, it's actually a pretty unique partnership. Number one, I just I appreciate your shout out because I just think they are a great example of an institution committed to, to not just access, but to success. Um, and so they already have a shared purpose and vision um, for wanting to do this work. We were actually able to get connected to them in part through a through a um, the Travelers Foundation, which which are also a supporter and a mutual funder of both organizations. Um, and they invested um, in this in this unique initiative because they saw a common ground and a shared opportunity. So I give a shout out both to Morgan State, but also to Travelers. Yes. But it also speaks to how unique partnerships can form when you bring entities. I mean, here you are, you have a a, a corporation with a philanthropic arm and an, an institution of higher education and a nonprofit coming together around a common cause. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and frankly, I think that speaks to some of the potential opportunities for solving bigger issues that we have in our society and frankly, just in education in general. Mm-hmm. It's how do we bring different groups together? You know, how do corporate interests, how does state government, how does K-12, how do nonprofits and higher ed come together to tackle some of these zero issues. And I think it's going to, I think these are the opportunities we're going to begin to see, particularly coming out of not just a response to COVID, but a response to economic recovery um, and a response to some of the uh, sort of societal ills and some of the racial inequalities we see in our country. That's right. And, And one of the points that you brought up in terms of moving, thinking about bringing these students forward or moving them forward uh, there's been that conversation. We all know that this is a knowledge economy. We know that students are thinking about many things more broadly. So I'm curious in terms of, you know, in terms of what future employers are thinking about. So are, are you seeing a strong in- interest among the business and community leaders just writ large and partnering with colleges um, that have been hit hard? Because we know that there's a lot of money out there. We know that it's gone to a lot of initiatives. But what does that look like in terms of um, the conversations that you might have been having, or even some of your colleagues might have been having with the business community. Yeah, well, I think there's a you see a sort of strong response to um, from business community, which I think is very exciting on the one hand, um, and on the other hand, there's sort of a caution that you you sort of see like in response to any crisis, right? A, you know, hurricane, an earthquake. There's sort of that immediate response, and the question becomes, how do you create this sort of sustained effort? Um, and so one of the things as an example of the pandemic, I think has exacerbated many systemic, you know, social challenges um, that also hits the corporate sector's bottom line. Um, businesses know that access to a diverse workforce is a critical part of staying competitive, particularly mm-hmm. in a global marketplace. Um, and they have a vested interest now more than ever to improve college access to build that diverse workforce. So when we see trends where fewer students are applying to college or fewer students are submitting um, faster, which is an important process to apply for financial aid, or fewer students are persisting. That don't, that doesn't only affect higher ed. You know that that affects corporations. Um, that affects communities. Um, so there's, there's really got to be a shared interest around getting ahead of some of these concerning headlines and building traction. And I think that's where unique partnerships can really come to play. And I think that's where corporations and uh, organizations like ours. 
um, can really bring about some real permanent change to create equitable college access and completion that's going to mm -hmm. also lead into more corporations having a, a skilled workforce for the future. Um, so, so, I, so, so there's a real need. Corporations are being responsive. The hope is that there's a sustained effort, not just sort of an immediate response to the crisis at hand. Yeah. And I think the other part, too, is that we as you talk about that pipeline and coming through to the business community, I think there's always the also the other sense of as we're kind of becoming equitable within our own institution. So um, just what that may look like for you at College Possible, what that may look like at, at us at EAB is that even though you may be supporting this work, what does that look like when it comes into play in terms of actually the admissions or or in our case, you know, bringing on new hires and others? What you know, what are the supports you put in there? Um, one of the larger things that we've been talking about is kind of a little bit of the changing of how quickly we have to change the way that they were operating. And now there's this larger push for racial equity. And so we've, you know, we've, we've talked about a broad number of things in this conversation so far, but I, I would like to bring it back to, to, to a conversation though, about this kind of race conversation, this conversation that we haven't had yet. And, um, you know, one of the bigger questions is, is like, what are, what do colleges and universities need to do to kind of break that inertia, right? To change the culture within their administrations, because we know that the culture and those climates are, are necessarily helpful and actually in many ways can be harmful and detrimental to the continuation of students at their institution. So I guess putting it in, in other words is kind of saying, how do you motivate leaders and staff to commit to con continuing to do this difficult work putting the partnerships in place and getting, you know, those key stakeholders to buy into um, the work. Well, it goes back to a term I think you said earlier around um, coalition building. And, and I sort of reinforced that with this notion of bridging a divide. Um, and, and I appreciate, you know, hearing that organizations like EAB, I certainly, it's a truth for organizations like College Possible. We, we all have to deal with this, this reckoning, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's a, you know, COVID-19 on the one hand was not simply about a virus. Um, it frankly also, you know, laid bare real disparities that exist that are fueled, frankly, by, by, by race and, 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 and resources. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, collectively, I think we have to tackle these, these issues if we're going to move forward together. So I, I think that one of the most important mindset we can all have is that we don't have to do it on our own. Mm. Um, and I, frankly, we're working through this together. And I think that the notion of like combining resources and assets to get farther, faster than we could on our own is really important. And that, that requires a, a, a deep level of humility. You know, we often don't want to talk about issues of race as though it's the problem or challenge that it really is. You know, we often like to celebrate the work we're doing, the progress we're making, things aren't as bad as they used to be. Um, but until we accept the fact that we all have biases, that, that this is a, a big boulder to push uphill, and until we acknowledge our inherent biases, that we acknowledge the systems that create and perpetuate those biases, um, then we won't be able to deal with it. And so sometimes it's reassuring to be able to deal with it amongst like company. So if, yeah. if we come together and I say, hey, we, we have a problem here too. And hey, oh, I have a problem. Just let's make it personal. I have biases. I was raised a certain way. I'm informed by society. I'm informed by all the images and messages that I've been consuming over the course of my life that, that, that impacts how I think about others, how I think about my, uh, myself, how I experience privilege, how I experience privilege in some instances 
as a man, how I experienced certain privileges in certain instances as a leader, as a, even as a person of color. Um, and, and I think that that acknowledgement individually and collectively, the willingness to partner and bring change our mindsets that, that we have not just a challenge, but a commitment to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And then a willingness to go on that journey with others is really important. Um, and so I think there's space for that. And if, if COVID-19 taught us anything, like we moved faster and farther than we would have ever moved on our own. <laughs> That's know, right. <laughs> without without yeah. this, this forcing mechanism. Yep. Right? I, I see this every single day. My, my third grade daughter is more proficient than Zoom than I am. <laughs> you know, she she got thrusted into yeah. technology and 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 the schools, whether it's it was elementary schools or higher education, had to pivot in new ways around technology, around remote learning, around remote work. Now imagine if we take that same agility, that okay. same nimbleness, that same willingness to be responsive to issues of race and and other disparities and said, we have no choice but to deal with it. And we want to deal with it now. Mm-hmm. That will allow us to accelerate our impact. So I'm encouraged because if there was any silver lining to an otherwise dark and challenging time that COVID you know, wreaked for all of us is the fact that it showed us what's possible you know, when we come together and we, when we recognize that we in fact have to do something different. That's right. That's right. And you said so many good things there. Um, at the, I think the one, the, there's a couple of things I'll pull out in terms of when you're talking about the humility piece. Um, I think there's such a big part of that because I think folks um, for many ways thought that they knew what they were doing, right? Uh, that we were doing the work in some form or another. And it's the welcoming of the conversation. So um, I would say, right, I, and I think you might agree with me that in our, you know, 40 plus years or whatever, I never thought I would have this conversation at work <laughs> or anywhere, right? I thought these conversations would continue to kind of be in these corners or with folks who across my kind of intersection of identities, I, you know, could could connect with or folks who felt othered, who, you know, had that shared, you know, kind of feeling. And so it's, it's, I'm the same as you. It's very inspiring to be able to have this and to have this conversation, to have these spaces and to continue to have the space to talk through it. But what do we do with it? And so the response that I've seen in terms of the colleges and wanting to do the work has been explosive. Um, but the, you know, where we're going to tend to kind of get hung up with is going to be how do we, but how do we do these things we thought we did better? How do we reimagine the things that we've done? And I think that's going to be, you know, kind of as the work continues for folks to continue to have those conversations. So when I, um, and I think too, right, I think this kind of brings us, what are, is the response from our students? So one of the bigger things, folks have, we've always been talking about this, this equity gap. I've talked about it in different ways, whether we call it, you know, thank God we're talking about it as equity gap and not as achievement gap. Um, but the, the bigger thing that's kind of happening now or that we're seeing a little bit of a splintering is regarding trust, right? This kind of, we're talking about a racial trust gap in the last couple of months um, and probably in the last year in terms of actually, is this work going to happen? Um, do these schools care about me? Does this community support me? 
And I think that's a really important um, distinction to make here because we've had many um, colleges, students, others, family members who've gone on to college, didn't get that degree and have said, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe they don't care about me or just maybe this isn't the way that I need to go about it. So, you know, the, my next question is, is pretty much kind of around, you know, how might parents, schools, businesses, others work together to help students kind of make these right decisions to decide what might be right for them? Um, because you talk about the knowledge economy, but there's also other things out there in terms of, of trade and others. How do we get them to figure out and have those deeper conversations about what may work for them? Yeah, I mean, this is a really foundational question, Misha. This is a, this is a deep one. Um, yeah. And it, it's really often rooted in like, sort of like what's the right decision for a child to pursue and, and, and sort of college for all often gets you know, and, 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 and sort of brought in into this debate. But, but, but I would contend, I, th I think it's a little bit of a false debate of this like go to college or don't go to college. Mm -hmm. Right. I think college has its its um, its cr a critical purpose, and um, and career has a critical purpose. But I think a better question is like, how do we position students for success in their lives, mm. and what are the experiences mm -hmm. that they will need to have, and what are some of the relationships that will need to be formed, and what are some of the skills that will need to be developed um, to lead to to lead a life of choice and opportunity. You know, data immediately tells us that your earning potential is going to be higher with a college degree. Um, yet we also know that, you know, where you go to school and what you study, all of those things matter as well. Yeah. Um, and and, and if I could, I was yeah. about to say, if I could interject, because I think that's such an interesting point mm -hmm. there. Uh, <laughs> not to bring myself into it, but there is, you know, you've seen those charts where it says. Um, you know, black with a college degree and mm -hmm. white with a high school degree, and it's the same income level. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, but that speaks to a set of, you know, other more complicated issues. So I think about this, you, you sort of started the question, sure. and, I, and I immediately thought about it from a lens of a parent, of mm -hmm. what do I, what would I want from my child? Mm -hmm. And you talked about this notion of like, you know, trust with institutions, and so how would I best prepare my child? And ultimately I feel like my, my goal and aspiration of a parent, you know, is ultimately to position my child with, for choice of uh, a life of choice and opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I, I, having gotten a college degree and being in a profession, mm -hmm. that means I'm, I'm aware of the data that suggests that a college degree will increase your earning potential, lifetime earning potential over a high school diploma. Mm -hmm. I think all those things are true, but I also recognize that, you know, college completion or life for that matter, isn't a linear path. That's right. Right. And so how do we yeah. create space for life? That's <laughs> how right. Do we create space <laughs> for learning. Yeah. How do we create space for development? Um, and, and, and so I think it's important to, to be able and to also be aware as you, for as a parent, even as you learn your own child, what, what are, what are their interests? What are the aptitude that they're showing? What are the things that energize them? What, what are the, what's the job that will not feel like a job, but they'll get up every day and be energized to do it and want to do it even without a paycheck? And that takes a little bit of discovery, but I don't want to minimize the importance of and value of, of both a college degree or, and or credentials and all this. 
like we we live in a in a society where credentialism is another ism, right? That's right. It, that's it, right. It, yes. And, and so that's really just important to <laughs> yes. be aware. So so how do we arm? You know, I don't want to be naive in, in this debate either. You know, mm-hmm. so I know from my own children that I will certainly do everything within my power to make sure they have college knowledge mm-hmm. and have the ability to pursue college and also have the experiences and exposure to different jobs and skills and interests and trades and relationships that will enhance their ability to pursue that life of choice and opportunity. So I just think it's, you know, it's important to, to both celebrate and elevate access to all pathways. That's right. Um, and not have a narrow mind to focus um, about this, this discussion. I love where you put that because I think we get easily folks get into a discussion about tracking, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't necessarily, I think that's a valid concern, but I also think to, to your point, where and how do we want them? How do we grow and support them through their life choices? How do we get them to be more in the citizenry, right? Mm-hmm. To be great um, and and have the skills for their life. I love that. I love that point. Um, you know, I could talk to you for a, a while. So I know. <laughs> I, I, Enjoying uh, every bit of this to me, see, and I, I, I appreciate <laughs> just the opportunity to have this dialogue with you. This is a great discussion. Uh, there's so many things that you touched on um, about, and I think there's larger conversations. I would probably say if we have any parents who are, are listening, um, don't be alarmed. I know you might want some of them to be lawyers or doctors, but that might not be the path for them. And I think that's the other part about making sure that they're happy and passionate in terms of what they want to pursue and making sure that we have those pathways for them. So let's talk about, you know, we're coming um uh, towards the end of our conversation, but I do want to talk about kind of what are the three key takeaways? What are kind of the top three pieces of advice that you would give um, a university leader about how to, you know, to move forward with this work, to be more productive and to to make sure that, again, speaking even just to what you just spoke to and what we spoke through throughout this conversation about getting students on that path? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a great question. And, and I I almost think about it from the real estate perspective. If someone said, what are the three most important things about real estate? You often hear location, location, location. <laughs> right? and, and I would say this, that when it comes to, to partnership um, and even this discussion of education in general, I would argue is value, value, and value. And I'll, and I'll tell you about what, what I mean here. I think first and foremost, we have to value the student. We have to meet students where they are as opposed to asking students to meet colleges where they are. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the biggest challenges of why this space has not evolved because, because I, we have not acknowledged the fact that our students are evolving faster than the environments they're going into. That's um, and so, so I think we have to rethink how we value students so that their true assets are celebrated um, and rewarded. Um, and we, we, we're seeing lots of uh, programs in this area, like test optional programs. Um, I, I want to give a nod to the common apps removal of the school discipline question. Um, I think there's yes. a lot of work happening <laughs> in this space where we're starting yes. to, to remove some of the hindrances and, and think about how do we value the lived experiences of our students. As a former admission person, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know we, we often use the language that we talked about hooks. What are the hooks students bring? And we gave a little bit more value to, to certain experiences around being a, a, a captain of a team or first chair around instrument. But I would also argue that there's a value for students who may be caring for an, an adult in their life or maybe mm-hmm. caring for a younger sibling 
or who may be volunteering or who may be working. So valuing the whole student is, is the first thing I would say. Yes. The, the second is, is valuing the partner, right? And this is what goes to the earlier point, but how do we think of other each partner as equals with unique assets that they bring to the table? Um, and so how do we explore the combination of those resources to achieve something greater and bigger than we can do on our own? And that's what's gonna allow us to scale change faster and farther by, by seeing the value in other partners and what they each bring. Um, and, and, and a big part of that value is also seeing the communities. We often talk too disparagingly about, about communities, but the communities have to be seen as an asset, um, as part of the partnership. Um, and then a third and final value I would highlight is, is sort of falls in both a near and long-term. You know, if we see our students as customers, we have to have a vested interest in understanding what will bring them the most value, right, to them. Mm -hmm. um, it's important to look at how partnerships deliver the value to the students. You know, completion rates is a big one. We're, we're helping our students think of themselves as informed customers, and we're encouraging them, look at the graduation rates of those institutions overall, but also look at the graduation rates of students like you who come That's from right. your background. And so we're, we're helping them to be educated consumers. And a big part of being an educated consumer is thinking about affordability. And affordability has to be considered part of the value proposition so that you know, access to quality education is both attainable, but we also think about the return on investment and then that can only be fully realized upon graduation. So our institutions graduating the students that are coming through their doors. Mm -hmm. so, I, so I think there's a great opportunity to both celebrate and think about value from a perspective of valuing our students, our communities, valuing each other as partners, but also thinking about the value of the return on that investment and the long-term outcome and, um, as part of that partnership. That's fantastic. Well, I, I won't even, I think that's our wrap up there. So I, I just want to thank you, Craig, for the time. Um, thank you for being here with us and thank you for um, our listeners here for joining in with another Office Hours with EAB. Absolutely. So, well, thank you for the opportunity to spend this time with you. And a big shout out to EAB for, for putting on this session. I really appreciate the chance to be with you. Thanks for listening. Please join us next week when our experts discuss the steps that higher ed leaders need to take now to make the most of the latest COVID-19 stimulus package. Until then, Thank you for joining us on Office Hours with EAB.